0: Welcome to the Tate National Park. We hope you enjoy your visit. The Tate National Park is situated on over a 100 acres of bushland, set aside officially for conservation in 1994. This area is known for its interconnected cave network and unusual geological features, such as an underground waterfall and its historical cave paintings. Visitors may explore parts of the caves, as well as the walking trails up Stewart Hill. We have a children's play area and a small canteen should you wish to use them during your visit. Toilet facilities are available at the visitor Center. Upon arrival, please see the staff at the reception to collect your passes. Your passes should be worn around your neck at all times. Upon receiving your passes, you may collect a brochure and map for the park and make your way through to the entrance. Alternatively, print off this page and take it with you. Please do not enter the park without a map and adhere to the sign-posted areas. The Tate National Park will not take responsibility for any liabilities encountered due to non-adherence to these rules. The caves. The caves run for approximately 5.3 kilometers underground to an explored depth of 200 meters at their deepest points. There will be staff members posted at the entrance. If no staff members are present, please wait for one to arrive before entering the caves. It is strict policy that all visitors to the caves must be counted on their way in and out. To avoid delay, please ensure all members of your party are present upon entering and exiting the caves. Tours are at 0900, 1130, 1400, and 1730 daily. You may explore the caves on your own if you wish, but please ensure you stick to the signposted areas. The caves are dark, and certain areas which look navigable are more treacherous than they seem. Do not enter an area which has been closed off. At the moment, there are paleontological digs going on, so part of the caves have been blocked off. We apologize for any inconvenience. There are emergency switches at regular intervals along the walls. These are red in color and easily reachable from the walkway. If a member of your party goes missing, call out. But do not try to find them. Press the nearest switch and a member of staff will come to assist you. Occasionally a visitor will observe a man dressed in brown walk past them. He will leave a lantern on the floor and continue into the caves without looking back. You may be tempted to follow him. If you experience this, press your nearest emergency switch and await a staff member. Do not touch the lantern. Please note, our staff members wear a khaki uniform with minor blue and green embroidery. It does not differ by gender. Do not accept help from any member of staff wearing a different uniform. They do not work for us. The caves have three main visitor routes. Route 1 is a minor route, suitable for beginners, and is wheelchair accessible. It is 1.2 kilometers long. There are several turnaround points. Route 2 is slightly harder. It is open for those able to walk long distances. Minor climbing is involved. It is for people of moderate athletic ability or higher. From start to finish, it measures 2.2 kilometers. In 2, you will see the Court Waterfall. It is not wheelchair accessible. Route 3 is the most advanced route. Only attempt this route if you are fit and able-bodied. Caving and climbing experience is recommended. Route 3 cannot be explored without a guide. Please arrive half an hour before your selected tour time, as listed above. a safety demonstration without the demonstration you will not be able to attend the tour further notes about the caves route one boasts the burgess wall a series of cave paintings dating back to the 1800s curiously several of the paintings appear much older pigment testing suggesting they may date back 200,000 years there is no record of who may have made the paintings The style of the newer paintings and the names written alongside them suggest they were made by European settlers, while the older ones were probably an indigenous group active at the time, though no paintings quite the same have even been found for comparison. You may notice the lights are low in this part of the cave, and the wall is covered by plastic. This is to ensure preservation of the artwork. Flash photography is not permitted in this area. The paintings themselves seem to depict ancient megafauna, though it is likely the 19th century versions are of the native animals we know today. There are several sets of initials along the wall. At the back of the cave is a patch of rock covered by handprints. Some of these are extremely unusual in shape, yet testing of the pigments used suggests they are genuine and old. If you find your full name written among the initials, leave the cave immediately. Route 2 is home to the Kurt Waterfall. This is perhaps the park's most unusual geographical feature. Despite being loud enough to hear from afar, there are some nearby points in the cave network where it is almost impossible to hear. Ten meters before the waterfall is a curved piece of tunnel known as the Quiet Corner. Standing in the corner with your back to the wall, it is almost silent try it for yourself. The origins and destination of the waterfall remain a mystery. Some suggest the water is drawn from an aquifer, others from a river above ground making an unexpected detour through the caves. Whatever the reason, it is a fascinating piece of local geology. The waterfall is visible from the viewing gallery marked on the map. Climbing over the railings is strictly prohibited. Please note, visitors who attempt to do so will be removed from the premises. In the unlikely event you notice anybody on the rocks between the waterfall and the railings, please tell a member of staff immediately, and follow their instructions. Do not attempt to climb down to rescue them. If you begin to feel lightheaded, leave the area immediately. Route 3 was originally mapped out in the early 1800s, and is for confident cavers. It contains a number of sharp turns and narrow passageways. Safety equipment is required due to the danger of falling rocks. After about half an hour's walk, there is a large cave with stalactites and stalagmites, dating back over 200,000 years. Further on, there is more graffiti. The letters SS appear alongside an image of a hand holding a map. It is likely they reference Samuel Orville Stott, explored the caves in the 19th century and wrote several books on caving. An excerpt from his work, Curious Geology of South Australia, published in 1822, is as follows. The caves are tight and dark too. Some wind creeps in and makes strange sounds. The waterfall is quiet at points. There are pictures on the wall I do not understand. Strange creatures. They say Australia has stranger creatures than any place outside of Africa, but I have not seen one quite like these paintings. The sounds echo in these cavernous walls. Crevices in the stone cast shadows off my lantern, like reaching hands. Yet, I explore alone. SS also appears on the Burgess Wall on Route 1, alongside the newer writing. Trails If caving is not for you, don't worry. We have 100 acres of bushland with over 50 kilometers of walking trails for you to enjoy. Please make sure you take plenty of water and sunscreen. Standing at the visitor center, straight ahead is Jungle Peak, a rocky outcrop jutting from the side of a small mountain. The name is said to have been a joke among the early settlers of the area, a play on the distinctly barren nature of the site. Unfortunately, the original name has been lost to history. At its highest, the peak is well within average oxygen levels and air pressure. Despite this, it is possible you will experience mild altitude sickness and dizziness at the top of the peak. The cause is unknown. The large hill from which it protrudes is known as Stewart Hill. There are several trails leading to the top, where you will find spectacular views. Some visitors have reported encountering a telephone tower when on Stewart Hill. If you see one during your visit, leave the area immediately. There are no telephone towers in the park. Climbing is common on Jungle Peak. If you intend to participate, please inform a member of staff upon arrival and they will provide you with the requisite safety equipment. It is our policy that all climbers must wear a park-issued coin around their necks. When you have finished climbing, Please return the coin to the office. When climbing, please stick to the marked paths. There are several places outside the designated climbing areas, which are more dangerous than they look. You may see a climber in orange clothing in one of these areas. They are there often. Do not attempt to join them. On the occasions, people have been witnessed doing so. They have not returned. As yet, no bodies have been found. General Safety As stated above, it is important to wear your pass at all times. Several people have reported feelings of disorientation and nausea upon removing their pass in the park. On two occasions, patrons were found at the edge of the property, speaking incoherently about circular trails and creeping from the trees. The children's area is closed on Mondays, School groups are asked to book on Tuesdays and Thursdays, only to avoid congestion. Please notify a staff member if a child is seen inside the playground on a Monday. And do not make eye contact with said child, no matter how many different voices they appeal to you in. School groups are required to have one adult per four children, regardless of school policy or student age. Please count your students regularly throughout the day. Fluctuation of one to four students is normal. By the time you leave, you should be back to the correct amount. Dogs, with the exception of service dogs, are not allowed in the park. Service dogs must be kept on leash at all times. Visitors with hearing aids should be aware of patches of electrical interference throughout the park. This is most likely to occur on the west side of Stewart Hill. All trail markers are blue wooden posts marked with arrows, numbers, compass points, and brief directions. There is a red switch on each one. Do not follow any other type of trail marker. If a member of your group becomes insistent on following an unofficial trail marker, such as a differently colored post or an arrow in the dirt, it is permitted to restrain them. You may use any means necessary. If they get away from you and go down the trail anyway... Do not attempt to follow them. Press the switch on the nearest trail marker and await a staff member. The quicker you press the switch, the more likely your trail companion will be retrieved. It is normal when retrieved from a false trail to have nightmares for up to a week afterwards. You will be given a coin of the same kind that is given to the climbers to take home. A staff member will come to collect it after two weeks, during which you must wear the coin at all times. It is important to keep your curtains and windows closed while sleeping for two weeks afterwards. Please also advise a member of staff if you see a wounded visitor. A wounded visitor will appear naked and disoriented with at least one visible injury, steadily losing blood. They are likely to talk about trees and hands and try to touch you. Do not allow them to do so. Press the nearest emergency switch for help. You may notice branches pick up more wind in the presence of a wounded visitor. They may appear to be reaching toward them. If this happens, remove yourself from the area. Wounded visitors are most common on the trails, but occasionally appear in the caves as well. Protocol is the same regardless of where the wounded visitors are seen. If you observe what looks like hands trying to reach for you around corners, calmly step away and await the help of a staff member. Sightings of the following should also be reported to members of staff. Overturned bins, abandoned hiking equipment, local flora changing positions, clothes hung from bushes, bipedal koalas, staff members in the wrong uniform, open tents, unattended children, abnormally large footprints, hands reaching from unusual places, and handprints and climbing patterns on sheer surfaces. The Tate National Park is home to an abundance of native wildlife, including a large number of lyrebirds. The lyrebird is a mimic, famed for their vocal ability. They can mimic all sorts of sounds, from human voices to machinery. Do not be alarmed. Common noises from the lyrebirds in Tate National Park include camera shutters, it's not a tower, kookaburra calls, it's something else, I am climbing comes from the trees, comes from the trees. The hands, the hands. Who is that? Do not be alarmed. Keep your pass on you and refer to the visitor's guide, and you will have a pleasant time. Please enjoy your visit to Tate National Park. My mother never wanted children. She had me because my dad wanted a kid and then she had another because my dad was worried I would be lonely. I remember her face whenever there were other screaming kids around, at the playground, at the school. Her face would tighten, and her eyes would become hard, her lips thinning out until they were almost gone. She never looked at me or my brother that way. She would look at us, and everything would be soft, as soft as she could be, anyway. I asked her once, why she wanted to be a mom, and she said, Oh, sweetheart, I never did, but I'm glad I'm yours. It blew my mind. Every mom wanted to be a mom, right? They all dreamed of the day they could have their very own baby, right? Turns out, not really. It stung a little. Actually, a lot. It's a hard thing for a kid to understand. My mom basically told me she never wanted me, didn't she? I asked her if she liked kids, she said. No, well, I like you and your brother. I love you both, sweetheart, but I don't care for other kids. This made sense to me. We were hers. She loved us. My mom was not the lovey mom you see on TV. She didn't like to cuddle or to nurse wounds. She answered all our questions openly and truthfully, but there was never a mother-daughter heart-to-heart thing going on. She had no patience for whining, for too many emotions, but she loved us in her own way. She would cook our favorite meals, take us out for ice cream for good grades. Trying to write it out is weird. I know how I felt about my mom. I know how she felt about me. In print, it sounds standoffish, and like she was absent. In life, it sometimes feels like that, like she was going through the motions of a good parent but when I got older, I learned that she was giving us what she could. She wasn't a warm person, but she gave whatever tenderness she had to our family. She was my rock, and rocks aren't good for cuddling, but rocks are good at weathering storms. Rocks are good to build a foundation on. Rocks don't let you down. She was not an outgoing, loving mother, but she loved me and my brother and my dad. She loved us with whatever she could, and as I got older, I learned to appreciate that. It's much harder to give all the love you have to someone when you have so little love to give, when it's so hard to dig and dig for more, to give that extra hug when you hate touching, to soothe crying when you hate tears, to speak softly when you want to shriek. Her love was not an overflowing fountain. I resented that when I was small. I wanted the mom who would grab me up from the school bus and swing me around laughing. Then we would go inside and she would have cookies in the oven and we would talk about my day and eat cookies. And then she would give me a kiss and tell me to go do my homework at the table nearby. I got a mom that watched silently from the porch, so still the other kids joked she was a statue. Sometimes she remembered to ask me about my day. One day, I had a horrible day. I came home miserable and sniffly. She was the same still mother, and I started bawling. I told her I wanted a mom who loved me, and made cookies and asked me questions. I screamed and cried the only way a small child can. When I was finally done, something had fractured in my mom's eyes. She got down in front of me, and took me by the arms. Oh, sweetheart, I'm trying. Her voice was low and tight, and it made me start crying again. I found notes around the house after that. Ask Em how her day was. Make cookies at 2.40 on Mondays. The kids like the orange mac and cheese. Always up high, my mom was really tall, and always in a place she would see. Throughout the years, the notes grew, and she never forgot a single one. It's not that my mom didn't feel things. I know she felt things anger, love, protectiveness, exasperation. It's just that those things were deep, and sometimes they would erupt like lava between the cracks in her rockiness. I remember one day we had gone shopping. A man came up to me and started talking. He was pleasant. I remember being flattered that a grown up thought I was worth talking to, that a grown up was interested in all my mindless chatter. I don't remember him being inappropriate. I'm not sure where my mom had gone. But then she was back. Her eyes had no wariness of the strange man. They were sharp, and they were angry. Her lips were thin again, but this time they were pulled over her teeth. It was something between a smile and a snarl. They stared at each other. I don't remember if they talked. The man left. My brother and I sat in silence in the back seat on the way home. Her anger rolled through the car like a summer storm. The weight of it made me choke. We finally got home and my brother bolted from the car. I was moving to do the same. "'Oh, sweetheart,' she said, "'come sit up here with me.' I moved to the front seat, stomach sinking, tears already in my eyes. Have I mentioned that I wasn't made in my mother's image?' I was soft through and through. I couldn't stand the idea of being in trouble. She drummed her nails on the steering wheel. They were perfectly done. Perfectly sharp. Sweetheart, you shouldn't talk to strangers. They're dangerous. She was staring straight ahead. Her nails were still drumming. I could see her anger moving under her skin. It was a roiling, writhing thing. She gave a jerk of her head, and I ran for the house. My dad met me at the door. He shooed me inside and went to talk to my mom. I watched her from a window, still drumming, lips still thin and stretched. Later my dad told me something had happened to my mom a long time ago, and that was why she got so mad. Later I learned that fear can make some people angry. I never asked what happened, but I had an idea. I was 23 when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. I never watched her waste away, never saw the life drain from her. The cancer was too fast for that. She was here, and she wasn't. And I was lost. I sobbed and wailed. I sank deeper and down in loss and misery. There was no rock under my feet. I wanted my mom. I started dreaming of her after she died. She didn't look like I remembered. Her skin was pale, her pupils had cracked like an egg, and spread over parts of her eye, and when she looked at me, it was sad. I would cry and tell her I miss her, apologize for any time I was obnoxious. I didn't listen. I didn't call enough. She would sigh a heavy sigh, one that reached from me in my bed to wherever she was deep in the ground. She would sigh and say, Oh sweetheart, I'm dead. I dreamed of her less as time moved on, but I still dreamed. Oh, sweetheart, I'm dead. I was 27 when I moved into my first house. It was small and cozy and perfect for me. I loved the large windows and the friendly neighbors. I think what sold me, though, was the hardware. There were crystal doorknobs and porcelain faucet handles, like my mom always insisted on. My dad said she hated the way metal felt on her hands. I loved that I felt my life was moving on. And I was also guilty. I was leaving my mom behind. I had been in the house for eight months when I dreamed of her again. She wasn't staring at me, listening to me cry and apologize this time. She was standing over me, and she was angry. Oh, sweetheart, how could you forget? How did you forget? I was crying. Again. I had started to move on. I had started to forget her. Her lips were blue as they pulled back, her teeth looked too long. I told you, I told you over and over, strangers are dangerous. She grabbed me, her nails perfect even as a corpse, cut into my arms as she hauled me up. I woke up when the bed dropped out from under me. I hit the floor with a slam. After that night, rolling out of bed and waking up seemed like a godsend. I was freezing, my blankets were gone, and I thought my heart might be next the way it was beating. I tried to catch my breath, and between the loudness of my breathing, I heard glass breaking. One of those lovely large windows was now broken. I was up in a flash, sprinting towards the back door. She said strangers were dangerous. I was listening. They caught me in the hallway, pulled me back to the bedroom. They grabbed my hair and my clothes. They complained about how cold it was in the house while they covered my mouth. And it was so cold, the air I could suck in was frigid. The burning made it harder to breathe. I was on the floor near the door, so close to freedom. They were standing over me. It was silence for a minute, two predators enjoying having caught prey. We heard the creaks in the hallway first, they kept getting louder. Silence. The window started rattling. Tap, 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 tap. Pause. Tap, 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 tap. tap. Another pause. Tap, Tap, tap. Tap, tap. The taps started to roll together. The window was flailing in its frame by now. I heard the men above me asking what the hell that was. I was shaking as bad as the window was. Part fear, part cold and part something else, and then everything stopped, except the drumming. It was softer now, a smooth rolling tapping, and it wasn't coming from the window anymore. We all turned and saw her at the same time. She was in the doorway, drumming her nails on the frame. She took a step forward. They took a step back. I took their surprise and ran with it, I was out the door and in the hall, past the woman with the two long teeth and the sharp fingernails. I brushed against her and it burned. It felt like she had sucked all the heat in the world into her. I heard shouting. Drumming. I bounced off the wall and kept going. I heard a bang behind me. They were shooting my mom. I started to turn around. They were shooting my mom. And then silence. Then more shouting. How could someone be standing after being shot so close? And then I heard her a chuckle, a snigger. That anger that moved under her skin came out in her voice. Oh, sweetheart, I'm dead. I started to run, and I bet those men wished they did too. The police said they must have gotten confused and attacked each other in the dark. They must have been on some serious drugs to do what they did to each other.